in our experience, the things that ground you are the things that give you power in the tough moments. And traditions are part of that, I think. And these songs that have proven the test of time are the songs that really have stayed with everyone through all of the hard times and the, the good times, too, you know. Music is the soundtrack to your life, so every bit of it, the tough bits and the fun bits, they all have a place in the music. I think if you can come up with music that reflects who you are, you'll never be lost in a way. I'm Peter McCulley. Sisters Cassie and Maggie McDonald are a traditional music duo. They have 17 Canadian folk music, East Coast music, and Music Nova Scotia awards and nominations. We caught up to them recently as they played stops in British Columbia. Cassie and Maggie, when Today in BC continues. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Thanks for having us, Peter. We're so delighted to be with you. You are East Coast traditional Celtic artists who grew up and live in Nova Scotia, alternating, actually, I guess, between Halifax, Anaganish, and Toronto. (laughs) Yep, that's the ultimate trifecta. Three great spots to call home for sure. Is there a tradition of musicians in your family? Absolutely. We're very lucky. I think the East Coast has that stereotype of generations of musicians passing music down from grandparent to grandchild, and we certainly are part of that. We were very lucky to have our grandfather be an incredible fiddle player who in turn inspired our cousins, and then I learned from them as well. So very much a family business sort of operation. So that's Hugh McDonald? Mm-hmm. Hugh Angus McDonald, or nicknamed Huey Number 11. He was one of the first fiddlers to record his music on the old 78s at the time. Yes, very cool. He took two trips. The first one was 1935, and he took the train all the way to Montreal. And over the course of two trips, he recorded six 78 LPs of traditional fiddle music. And they're some of the very first recordings that we have of this style of music It's pretty incredible to think of that journey. We get nervous and anxious going into the studio, and it's just a 40-minute drive, but to take that train ride and to have that playing on your mind and never having had any studio experience before, and of course, at that time, it was one take. We had to really nail it. I think of that journey that he took all the time and what must have been going through his head before he went into the studio, and the energy that is in those recordings, even though... The technology was what it was at the time. It still comes across as very lively and no nerves or anything. So that's always been an inspiring story for me to think about. I bet it was a good ride on that train up to Montreal, <laughs> like a party train, wouldn't it? Yeah, I don't know. That's a, that's another thing that would be interesting to be a fly on the wall. Came before, well before our time, but it's a pretty magical time in music when the first recording started coming down the pipeline and the inspiration was a whole new way to preserve music and share it. Yes, because in the 40s, a number of the radio stations in Nova Scotia used to cut the big 78s. But of course, it was not the studio type of acetate they were using. But still, that was probably the only way for anybody to do that on a budget. Yeah, Mm -hmm. amazing. It's good fuel for fame as well. (laughs) (laughs) I understand your parents have a British Columbia connection. Yes, their love story is quite romantic. They dated when they were younger and then fell out of touch. And our father moved all the way to Vancouver. They weren't in contact for a long time. And our mom decided to fly out to visit him on a whim. And then they were married, I think, later that year. So the British Columbia air was (laughs) rife with romance at that time. 
<laughs> We're chatting as you're on a West Coast tour that'll see you do some dates in British Columbia, some in Alberta, and then you're heading down to the United States. Mm-hmm. I take it you spend uh, a lot of time on the road. If, if we back up and take out the pandemic, you spend a <laughs> yes, lot of time please, on the road. Yes, please, let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just before the pandemic. We were starting to slow down a little bit. We were doing more targeted touring. And then with the two years off, we racked up all these debts and we want to come back to every territory that we've ever been to. Racked up debts. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. In more ways than one, we wanted to be back on the road, visiting all of our friends and getting back to what we love the most. I think being off of the road really made us miss miss the connections that we have with people all over the world. Mm -hmm. It's good to be back on the road. Absolutely. Yeah, it's been a true joy to see everybody again and play the songs. It's not the same when you're in your home playing alone. (laughs) (laughs) Shall we assume you get along pretty well in close quarters if you were in a car together driving all over North America? Yeah, I think we have very similar goals. We want to make music for a living and we run a business together. You have to compromise is certainly part of it, but also creativity and humor we inherited some great sense of humor from both sides of our family so i think that we're able to laugh and we've been through a lot and so we know nothing is ever so catastrophic that you can't get through it and figure out a solution so that's the main thing that keeps us from getting at each other's throats (laughs) maggie what instruments do you play and what role do you have in the duo i started off with piano was my first instrument Well, actually, I started on fiddle when I was about three, (laughs) but Cassie's two years older than me and she was two years more wise on the fiddle. So I wanted to have my own little corner of the room to experiment. And that was the piano for me. And so I started when I was five and then I was always struggling to carry the piano. I'm only five foot one (laughs) and carrying the piano around was quite the chore. So I wanted to upgrade to a smaller instrument (laughs) and that was the guitar. So when I was about 16, that's when I got my first real guitar and I was able to join in on the sessions and be a part of that. And the singing came with the guitar. It's always been a passion of mine. So the guitar and the vocals are the main source of my musicality these days. Cassie? I'm the family fiddler. We have generations of fiddle players, and so I was very lucky to start off when I was super young and then took lessons from our cousin Kendra McGilvery. We just were so lucky to grow up surrounded by such incredible influences and to have our heroes be literally related to us. Yeah, the fiddle has been my true passion, and we've recently delved into Maggie's become an incredible vocalist, so singing has really taken on a new element of our live show and our recordings, and then together we've graduated onto songwriting. So it's been a really interesting evolution musically for us, starting as instrumentalists, then going to singing, and now songwriting, so... It's never a dull moment when we're creating. (laughs) Are you both songwriters? We do a lot of co-writing. I would say Maggie is the main writer, but when we write together, she'll often come to the table with an idea or some kind of a theme or a melody, and we'll workshop it together for a couple days. And it's like we've listened to so many wonderful songwriters talk about their methods and their kind of way of approaching things, and we've narrowed it down and come to a strategy that works for us, which is taking older melodies or old poems and trying to reimagine them in a contemporary way. So it's been working so far and we're really happy with what we've been coming up with. 
Amongst your various tunes that I've listened to on your albums and on YouTube and whatnot, there are some Gaelic tunes. Did you two learn to speak Gaelic or learn the tunes? It's really interesting, the history of the Gaelic language in Nova Scotia, as there's a huge population of Scottish immigrants who settled, especially in northern Nova Scotia. And as some languages go, Gaelic was considered sort of second-class language, and the older generation thought they were doing a disservice to their children by teaching them Gaelic because they thought it wouldn't help them get a job in the modern kind of world. So almost within one generation, it was lost as a common language. So our grandparents understood it, but they didn't necessarily speak it. And then with our father and mother's generation, they don't speak it at all. So there's been a real effort to have a resurgence. And Maggie studied it in school, actually, as her second language. But, you know, we aren't fluent, but I think that the cadence and the idea of the language just permeates all aspects of the music. So Mm -hmm. it's quite a beautiful connection. And we often talk about going to the Isle of Skye for a year and just doing full immersion, and then we'd be able to talk in Gaelic and no one would understand. Would would that be before or after the distillery tour? (laughs) I think we could do them both. Yeah, Yeah. maybe the distillery will help with the Gaelic. (laughs) You never know. Do you have an X-ring? Is that where you went to university? Do you know what? We actually escaped the St. of X and went to Halifax and (laughs) to the big city. And so we played a lot of music while we were in university and eventually it took over. Our first album was released my last year of high school and that got our foot in the door with the music community. And then we started really playing shows and traveling down to the States during my first couple of years of university. And we took one year off, which extended into several. And so no ring for me. (laughs) (laughs) You were talking about learning Gaelic or learning Mm. the Gaelic tunes. I'm sure some of our listeners would be interested to know that many of the tunes that you likely learned on the piano and the fiddle at one time had words, lyrics, but for the most part of those have either been lost or just not passed down or simply not added. But you've changed that, as you say, singing many of the tunes now. Yeah, that's an interesting tradition. When the first kind of group of folks came over from Scotland, they didn't really have the luxury of bringing their instruments with them. And then it took a long time to be able to spare the lumber to build fiddles, or certainly the bagpipes seem to have survived (laughs) the trip across the Atlantic. (laughs) But a way of preserving the tunes would be to come up with what's called Porsche de Beale in Gaelic, which translates to music of the mouth. So often it would just be an improvised sort of way to preserve the melodies without having lyrics necessarily but to keep these tunes alive until there was the resurgence of instruments to play them. So it's a fascinating way and such a creative way to preserve, especially the rhythm of the tunes with this mouth music tradition. As soon as I heard you say that, it reminded me of Mary Jane Lamon's mm. album, Mouth Music. That was such mm. a great time. So cool. Yeah. We're going to hear a cut from Willow Tree, the album, a little later in the podcast. Where did the name come from for the album? That was an amazing project that was all Cassie's idea. Uh, She (laughs) said, we were actually touring in Austria with a wonderful singer named Cyril O'Donoghue. And he was the first person to say songs are meant to be stories and tell the stories of the people. And he showed us a song that was recorded by Tim O'Brien and Paul Brady called Down in the Willow Garden. And that song illuminated our 
idea of harmony and transatlantic sharing of music because Tim O'Brien is from America and Paul Brady is from Ireland and their voices together were really special and that song really resonated with us and that was the launching pad for the Willow Collection which is all songs associated in some way with the Willow Tree and having a central theme allowed us to explore different avenues of folk music and that transatlantic connection for songs from the old world and songs from the new world and put them all together in this collection. So it was a wonderful way for us to explore our musical history and all the different avenues that it can take. You grew up with music. Was there any one moment, any one time when you looked at each other and you said, you know what, let's take the show on the road and do this (laughs) for a living as long as we can? I think that the first time we were ever at a music festival, a folk music festival, that that gave me the bug. When you get to walk around the grounds and see so many different acts performing, you can really get a sense of the community and the living tradition. And that ability to travel and experience so much art all condensed into one that was something that was really inspirational for me so that gave me the bug I want to be at festivals all the time and hearing all of these bands and meeting the artists too when you get to go backstage and see them in there with their veil down and ask them questions about where they pick their songs up it just makes you much more colorful in your experience of the world The New Bedford Folk Festival was one of our early ones in the States as well that I can remember seeing like Grammy-nominated artists perform, and that blew my mind. (laughs) When Today in BC continues, Cassie and Maggie talk about being stranded at sea twice (laughs) and their new Christmas album. From hidden local hotspots to outrageous wildlife rescues and trend-setting hotels, westcoasttraveler.com shares the latest travel news from your local community and beyond. Travel the spectacular west coast of the U.S. and Canada without leaving your armchair and start taking notes for your next adventure. Make your next vacation or staycation the best it can be. Visit westcoasttraveler.com. Today in BC is a Black Press Media podcast. I'm Peter McCulley. Cassie and Maggie, you've traveled extensively overseas. You mentioned Austria, for one. Tell us about being stranded at sea twice. (laughs) We were very lucky, like, early on to get a foot in the door with the cruise ship industry. And that's been an interesting journey. It's always been part of our career touring history A couple of times we used to do a route that would see us go along the eastern seaboard and we'd usually get on in either Sydney, Cape Breton or Halifax and then either go southbound to New York or north up to um, sometimes Newfoundland or Quebec. Often they would be sailing through hurricane season in September. So there was always the risk that one of the ports would be closed and the ship couldn't dock. So you had to be prepared to stay on a little bit longer than you had anticipated. And luckily that only happened to us twice, but they were pretty spectacular times. We got on, I think, in Newfoundland and had to go all the way to New York City. We were sailing through a hurricane, and the Atlantic can be pretty fierce when it wants to be. And I'm extremely prone to seasickness. I think I just spent three whole days in the bed. I couldn't move. I couldn't get a foot under me. I'm definitely meant for the land, not the sea. (laughs) And they wouldn't warn you either, because they 
didn't want to rile up the passengers. So it would be a very last minute thing. And all of a sudden, instead of 24 hours on the ship, it would be 72 or sometimes longer. <laughs> so always be prepared. Bring your passport whenever you have the <laughs> yes, chance. Yeah. Can you tell us about any particularly memorable moments or performances from your or even just cities that you visited from your career so far? The first tour we did of Scotland, I think, of the UK was pretty spectacular for us. We flew in on New Year's Eve in 2018, I believe. And we were going to be in the studio for a couple of weeks before we started our tour. And we arrived and I didn't really realize this, but New Year's Eve and New Year's Day, which they refer to as Hogmanay, is their big party, even bigger than Christmas in a way. And so we landed New Year's Day at the Glasgow airport and it was deserted. And then we went out on the street and there was no one there. None of the businesses were open, none of the restaurants. And so we were just like, what is this place? Where <laughs> is everyone? And it was pretty eerie for those two days. But then once everyone reemerged after their hangover had subsided, we realized that it was quite the party town. And then we spent the next three weeks traveling through Scotland and England performing. And I was a little bit nervous in a way because I didn't know... So much of our music is directly influenced from the Scottish traditions. And so I wondered how we would be received there. Would they find it redundant or would they view us as little sisters to the tradition and therefore derivative or not as interesting? But it was quite the opposite. I think it was a very paternal kind of maternal reception and people were very kind and interested in our background and how we learned the music and the how it had evolved in North America, really. It stands out to me, for sure. Well, 30 years ago, they used to call it the party plane, actually. Uh, <laughs> there was a plane that would go over a couple times a year, and East Coast musicians would be aboard. Mm. They would have a good time going over to the British Isles. <laughs> but the thing for folks in Scotland at that time was that there was a certain energy that East Coast musicians brought to the music that they had lost mm. somewhere along the way. So mm. there was a rebirth there, I think. Yeah, it's fascinating. I do think that the dance tradition has evolved in a different way in Cape Breton and Anakinish especially, and so that's really at the heart of the drive and the lift that we grew up with. So I'm sure it's it must be crazy for them to hear, and the repertoire too is very different. We would think there'd be more shared tunes, but there's a very specific style and very um, unique repertoire in Cape Breton. Can you talk about your experience in the music industry and challenges you've faced so far? Oh gosh, we've been at it for a long time. <laughs> we just celebrated our gig anniversary. we say, is January 25th for Robbie Burns Day. That was our first ever paid gig when we were seven and nine. <laughs> so we're quite a bit on after that. I graduated high school in 2011, so it might give you an age range idea. Our first record came out that same year, 2011. This last couple of years during the pandemic has really been a curveball that nobody saw coming. It's been an opportunity for creation as well as reflection. I think we looked at our career and decided what were the parts of it that really drove us. And it gave us a chance to condense our vision. And really, with the next chapter of our career, we're going to be able to show that to the world. If that was challenging, I think, taking it a hard look at yourself and realizing that it's time to work on the things that you love the most and give yourself a chance to put that first. 
that has been the most challenging thing, I think, is getting to know your musicality and creating in a way that represents you the most with the new material. Was there a new album in the works? Oh, yes. There's <laughs> been a lot in the works. <laughs> we made a Christmas album, actually, which we released in December, which was pretty exciting for us. Uh, we recorded that in September of 2022, and it was released in December. So it was a really nice project for us to sing songs that we grew up singing in church and new ones, to that can show a lot of personality, but the record that we've been working on should be coming out this fall. It's a hybrid of old themes with new melodies and new themes with older melodies. It's really a blend of our musicality and our vision coming together. Do we have a name for the album? Yeah, it's called Gold and Coal. We have such a wonderful history, especially in Cape Breton and on the West Coast of people coal mining and gold mining. And, of course, associated with that is this wealth of material and beautiful songs. But we didn't want to make really gold mining, coal mining record, but we loved the concept that, you know, the coal can represent the traditions that have been passed down from you for generations. And the gold and the traveling to the West Coast is sort of a new journey and doing something different. And both are equally challenging. And so the music reflects that. The coal has this sort of primal feel to it, and the gold side has more of a sparkly, futuristic look to that direction. So the combination of both of those has made the record really interesting, and it's a great platform to discuss our background, having this wealth of music that's been passed down to us, but also pushing the boundaries and forging a new musical path for our band as well. And Maggie, you had mentioned the Christmas album, which I listened to. Mm. I thought it was a really interesting mix <laughs> of uh, traditional Christmas songs. There's some new fun tunes in there. Mm. Now, the one that caught my attention was Arthur McBride. Yes, that, yeah. that tune goes back to the early 1800s. How did you Absolutely. find that song? That's pretty staple in the Irish traditional singing songbook. Again, Paul Brady recorded that song and with a open tuning and I play in a tuning called Dad Gad, which is almost an open tuning. But when you hear him sing that song, the blend with the ornamentation and the guitar, it's a long song. It's, I think, 16 verses, if you count each verse as two, which it's the repetitive melody. So it's really hard to keep it captivating and keep that story interesting for the listener. So it's a big challenge to arrange that song start to finish and keep it interesting. Paul Brady's version is one of the gold standard of just guitar and just vocal all the way through. But we wanted to put our little spin on it. So we arranged it and I put a lot of chords in there. <laughs> and we wanted to elevate each verse and reflect the story in the music that we put behind it. There's a violent verse which gets quite percussive with the background and there's other verses that are a little more lilting and there's a dark part of the song where there's a beating that occurs on Christmas Day. And so we take the chords into a bit of a minor zone. Mm, we wanted the album, it's a Christmas album, but we wanted it to have appeal that could sort of span throughout the year. And Arthur McBride, yeah, it wouldn't really be considered a Christmas song, but the story transpires mm. on Christmas Day. So it was a way for us to uh, include some more secular music and give a range of uh, Christmas-themed songs, as well as traditional Christmas carols. So tell me about the tune Shallock that we're going to listen to. 
That's an interesting hybrid, what we've been talking about here. It combines the traditional and the modern together. So it's a Gaelic song that the lyrics were written by Lewis McKinnon, who was the past Minister of Gaelic Affairs in Nova Scotia. And so we came to him with this melody and we wanted to record a willow song, a Gaelic willow song for the record, but we couldn't really find any that were happy or tearful or had like a fun melody. So we came to him with a melody and he wrote the lyrics. And then we went to our friend Alex Mead, who's an incredible kind of pop music producer in Halifax. And we came to him with this song and a rough arrangement in our head. And it really came together quickly and pretty easily considering all of the different moving parts that were involved. It was one of the first more contemporary pieces that we put together and it's really been a fun one to play live and I think it's our most streamed song at the moment on Spotify.
thought this would be an interesting question for two members of the younger generation <laughs> who are singing traditional music passed down over the years and generations. And this day and age when it's all about downloads and you mentioned streaming and how do you see the music industry evolving in the future? It's taken some pretty wide corners the last 20, 30 years. That's for sure. That's a great question. I think that it's really hard to predict what's going to come around the corner <laughs> for sure. But in our experience, the things that ground you are the things that give you power in the tough moments. And traditions are part of that, I think. And these songs that have proven the test of time are the songs that really have stayed with everyone through all of the hard times and the, the good times too, you know. Music is the soundtrack to your life. So every bit of it, the tough bits and the fun bits and the ridiculous bits, they all have a place in the music. I think if you can come up with music that reflects who you are, you'll never be lost in a way. Yeah, people get really upset about things changing and streaming and revenue streams. And it's the same in every industry. When machines came in for the Industrial Revolution, that was huge. When the internet was invented, you know, we can't really fight against the wave. You have to carve out, as Maggie said, your own perspective and stay true to that. As far as technology goes, we've seen a huge resurgence of vinyl and old records. People are really investing in physical copies and the integrity of the analog sound. I've even seen cassettes kind of become fashionable again. So who knows? We could have the eight track could make a reappearance <laughs> the next couple of years. Well, when I left when I left the East Coast to move to the West Coast, I gave away twelve hundred albums. Oh yeah. And now I kind of think, well, that could be worth some money today. Yeah, <laughs> you never know. It's uh, everything old is new again. Isn't Just it so? Fashion is all back. I'm living proof. <laughs> <laughs> Any causes or organizations that are important to you, near and dear to your heart, that you're supporting through your music or you have a plan to support? Eventually, I think that mental health, especially in the creative industries, is such an important thing to talk about. I think that for so long, people have just brushed it under the rug and put on this happy face to the detriment of mental health in general. Especially these days, I see everybody really being willing to talk about it, talk about their personal struggles and to normalize it as a conversation. So to me, that's extremely important. And I think that down the road, when we have a platform, we would love to be able to use that to help folks out and to use our own experiences as a, a way to promote those causes. Especially when you live a life that involves so much travel, I think that it's hard to get the help that you need when you're constantly in motion. Especially with the sort of provincial territories of like mental health organizations, there's certain things where they can't serve you if you're online in a different province. So things like that tougher when you're a nomadic human. <laughs> <laughs> and those are often the people that need that support the most. We're always looking for links that can help connect us and with mental health discussion. That's very important. You mentioned uh, being back out on the road, uh, it feels good. And you mentioned being nomadic. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you, you probably have a couple of favorite diners, drive-ins and dives Ooh. that you've run across <laughs> here, there and everywhere. You've been all over the world. We're so lucky. You know what? Our hometown pub in Anikinish, Piper's Pub, they have the best brunch ever. And their Caesars are like $3.95. <laughs> And when we get to go home to Anikinish and everybody crowds into Piper's Pub, that's my favorite. It's such a vibe in there. And we've been to so many Kayleys over the years. You just, 
brings back so many great memories. That's my spot. We were also just in Bellingham, and years ago we played a venue called the Green Frog, which was a wonderful night for us because there's a Texas swing band on after our show (laughs) that we got to stay and learn a little bit of Texas swing. (laughs) But they had a grilled mac and cheese sandwich that I've never forgotten. (laughs) And the venue has since closed, and we were just back in Bellingham, and I was first on my list. So now I'm going to have to look for my grilled mac and cheese somewhere else now. (laughs) I'd like to thank Cassie and Maggie McDonald for being with us on this edition of Today in BC. If you have suggestions or comments, send a voice message to podcast at blackpress.ca. You may be part of our podcast mailbag segment. You'll find Today in BC podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, iHeart, and Google Podcasts. Searching for a new home? Make todayshomebc.com your online home base. With easy-to-search listings and connections to local realtors, everything you need is under one roof. Powered by Black Press Media, you can search hundreds of local listings all in one place. Access the top real estate professionals to help you find the perfect home today at todayshomebc.com.